Welcome to Paleo Cinema Podcast with your host, Terry Frost. Paleo Cinema Podcast is a two-weekly podcast of classic movie appreciation. The only rule is that the movies must be more than 20 years old. You can leave feedback by emailing feedbackpaleo at gmail.com or by visiting the Paleo Cinema Cafe on Facebook. You can also support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month by going to patreon.com slash paleocinema. This podcast may contain adult worlds and concepts, so please enjoy it. Hello and welcome to Paleo Cinema Podcast 221. My name's Terry Frost, and this time I'm doing something a little bit different. I just kind of went blank on what I was going to do and a couple of things I wanted to do fell through. So I decided I was going to improvise, which sometimes can work and sometimes is a total fucking disaster. But before I get into that, uh, the intro. I got a new intro there. I went to Fiverr.com, that's Fiverr with two R's at the end, and paid out for a lady called Sandrine with a French accent to do the introduction. Let me know what you think about that one. Uh, she does mispronounce Patreon, but uh, for 15 bucks, what can you do? So I've got a, a voiceover artist now, which is kind of cool. I'm going to look for something a bit different for the Martian driving one, but I may well do a Fiverr voiceover for Martian driving. I was thinking of changing some logos to I like the Paleo Cinema logo but the Martian driving one I kind of want to refit and, and rejig to a certain extent um, now I hate asking professionals to do things but if there's a graphic designer who wants to have a go at a Martian driving podcast logo I'm not going to stop you but if not I'll get somebody from fiverr.com to do it but I'm kind of happy with it and uh yeah so <laughs> There you go. Uh, somebody else's voices are turning up on the podcast, and they're not a guest. Anyway, uh, sorry for this. this is a couple of days late. Things have been a bit weird around here, mostly because of me. I'm having adjustment issues with the retirement thing to a certain extent, and it's getting a bit strange being at home a lot. So I went into a kind of sluggish mode where I wasn't doing very much at all apart from playing Xbox and acting like a 17-year-old in other ways. But I'm back on track now. Uh, one of the things I'm going to be doing, which I hope turns out interestingly, and I hope I'm able to do it, is I'm taking a train to Sydney next Monday. Uh, it takes about 11 hours to take a train 900 kilometres from Melbourne to Sydney. wish we had Japanese or uh, South Korean-style bullet trains, you know, a train to Busan kind of bullet train thing. But unfortunately, we don't. And so... Um, couple of things one of which is i'm going to visit my mother she's just in uh, in a nursing home now because of her dementia and i wanted to visit her up there as well because i don't know realistically how much longer she's got so i do want to spend a little bit of time with her and uh, the other thing is because i've reached a certain birthday milestone i get half price train fares which is very very cool uh and so it's not going to cost me terribly much to have a first class train ticket first class being a kind of moot term because these trains are slightly aged and uh the infrastructure is not quite where everybody wants it to be but anyway i'm gonna i've got a first class train ticket to and from sydney i've got three nights and essentially two days there going to catch up with a good friend of the podcast, Bruce Creevy, who works for Animal Logic, who are doing the new Peter Rabbit movie and uh, doing all of the animated animals for the Peter Rabbit movie. He's been working very hard on that. 
And so it'll be nice to catch up for lunch with Bruce. I'm not sure what else I'm doing. I'll probably end up going to Gould's Book Arcade in Newtown, which is the best secondhand bookshop in Australia. And I may well go down to Hum, which is a store that uh, imports a lot of very, very nice DVDs and Blu-rays. So who knows what else. Uh, The hotel I've got, I've got a kind of little hotel with a tiny, tiny room because Sydney accommodation is fairly expensive. Uh, right near Chinatown in Sydney, in the middle of Sydney. So that's going to be kind of interesting because I get off the train at about 8 o'clock at night and then trundle my suitcase about three blocks to the accommodation, which I got at a reasonable price. There was a bit of a discount because I did it on lastminute.com. But uh, I'm going by myself, which is kind of interesting, and I'm going to try to do a podcast on the train. I've got a laptop, I've got a headset mic, and I'm going to give it a go. I don't know whether it'll be possible, but I may well do one or more podcasts while I'm travelling on the train, which is I think is going to be cool to attempt. I'm sure it's been attempted before by other people. Uh, it may look a little bit strange to me sitting there with a laptop and a headset mic talking movies while somebody's sitting next to me, but I'll see how that turns out. If it doesn't work, I will record one while I'm up in Sydney because I've got a little spare time in the evenings and things like that. So I may well um, be in my hotel room, which is called a matchbox room, which shows you the kind of vast spaces I'll be working with there. Nonetheless, um, I'm going up there. I've got to visit mum. Sally's staying at home and wrangling cats. And then about a week or two after that, we go to Tasmania for two weeks, which is going to be very cool. We're taking the ferry across the cross pass straight from Melbourne to Devonport and Tasmania uh, with the car. So we get to keep our own car with us, and so we're doing the ferry. takes about 8 to 10 hours to get over there depending on weather conditions because basically you're going to be in the open ocean on Bass Strait, and it's not always the most placid of water, bodies of water. So we've got that adventure coming ahead. Maybe even podcast on the ferry to Tasmania. Who knows? Uh, there are lots of possibilities there. I've got portable technology. And so um, we may well do that. So what the plan is at the moment for the Sydney trip is, if I get my shit together, is to do a podcast about train movies while I'm on a fast-moving train. As I said, it may not work. The sound quality may be really shitty, but it's something I want to try. And uh, a little bit of fun, get out of the man cave while I'm podcasting for once and just have a lovely time of it. It'll be a great um, moment and and a lot of fun there. So I've got those adventures coming up, uh, and so we'll see how all of that pans out. But, uh, yeah, so two weeks in Tasmania in November and uh, two days in the hometown, effectively two days because uh, Monday is basically on the train. Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm in Sydney. Thursday morning, I take the train back and come back to Melbourne Thursday night. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, it would be really nice if we had a bullet train, but uh, state governments and federal governments are big on infrastructure around here, so they'd rather give a billion dollars to the Adani coal mine in Queensland, for instance, when um, Adani doesn't pay its taxes and all the other issues involved with that. Anyway, um, on to movies. Let's talk about movies for a fucking change. Uh, let's just get up the letterboxd.com and I'll talk a little bit about the movies I've been watching. One of which is the one I'm going to be doing for ABC Local Radio in the Northern Territory in two days' time on Thursday. 
and that is it. Now, I'm not talking about the Roddy McDowell Gollum movie from 1965. I'm talking about the 2017 iteration of the Stephen King TV miniseries and novel, It, with Pennywise the Clown. Uh, that one, uh, it's going to be interesting to do it because uh, Rebecca McLaren, with whom I've been doing the pod, uh, the, the talk on the radio, for a few years, is on leave, on maternity leave. And so Michaela Simpson and I are going to be doing it, and Michaela's an enormous horror movie fan, which makes it kind of cool. And so we're doing it. Now, I saw that. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about it on the podcast because I want to save all of the energy for the radio. I enjoyed it. Uh, there's some really creepy shit in there, and it works really well. Uh, there's... Uh, Bill Skarsgård playing Pennywise the Clown is really, really good. The ensemble of children, for the most part, is great. There are some tense moments, and some of the horrors of the film aren't to do with the supernatural. Let's just put it that way. There's some uh, horrific stuff which happens around the lives of these children who are um, monstered, literally, by Pennywise the Clown. And, uh, yeah, I think it works really well. It's the first half of the story because the second half, of course, is 27 years later when the protagonists are adults. And so that's going to be the second of the uh, movies. And I look forward to that. I will go and see it because it works really well as a horror film. Um, There's a few jump scares in. There's a few bits where they put really deep bass notes on the soundtrack to try to enhance the horror, which slightly pisses me off. Nonetheless, it, uh, it's an effective little horror movie. And if you're scared of clowns, then you may want to put on an adult diaper before seeing this one. Okay, let's see what else I've been watching. I did see an action comedy called Killing Gunther, uh, directed and written by ex-Saturday Night Live guy Taron Killam, whose name sounds like an Indonesian ointment but isn't. Uh, Killing Gunther's are basically a bunch of hitmen decide to film their attempts to kill a guy called Gunther, who's the best hitman in the world. Uh, they're not terribly successful. The ensemble of um, assassins are, are pretty haphazard and, and silly. Uh, the movie doesn't really work, and the, the energy of the movie only picks up when Gunther turns up. And Gunther is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, doing very broadly comedic stuff, and he's a lot of fun in this. His energy levels are really high. Uh, it's a silly movie, but... It's at its best when Arnie Short turns up. And over the end credits, you get the incredibly weird phenomenon of Arnold Schwarzenegger singing country and western. So it's worth it just for that. Uh, It's kind of an okay film, not fantastic, but a time filler. It doesn't go anywhere where other movies haven't gone before. But uh, if you're into that sort of thing, you can watch it, and it uh, may be a little bit of fun for you. The next thing I watched is Who Killed Teddy Bear, which is a kind of thriller from the 1960s. I'm actually talking about this on the Projection Booth podcast with Mike White in a week or two. And, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. It's got Sal Mineo, Julia Prowse, Jan Murray, and Elaine Stritch in it. And it's a sick and twisted and nihilistic little thing. Uh, I'll let you know when it is up on the Projection Booth podcast and I'll talk more about it there. So watch that. And then I watched Chris Columbus's first directorial movie, a fun film called Adventures in Babysitting with Elizabeth Shue, Vincent D'Onofrio in it. Um, 
and Bradley Whitford from the West Wing and the Cabin in the Woods, which I talked about in the last Martian Drive-In podcast, as the naughty boyfriend. Ah, yeah, this one's a lot of fun. It's a kid-friendly movie, but it really does work. I think the uh, bits in the Blues Club don't particularly work, but the rest of it is uh, a lot of fun. And uh, Elizabeth Shue was great in it. She's still great in pretty much anything she does, but in this one she was a lot of fun. And uh, I enjoyed revisiting that. I picked it up very, very cheaply on Blu-ray, and I don't regret doing so. Uh, that's pretty much all that I've watched as anything of interest. But I'm going to take a break, and when we get back, we're going to do, let's just say this podcast is going to be a bit different, and I'm going to look at my favourite cult TV shows produced by a company called ITC in the 1960s and the 1970s. I'm going to do a bit of an overview, a little bit of audio from them, and just uh, explain why I like these things and why they're, in some ways, more than a little bit cinematic, but they're very much nostalgic, and a lot of this stuff is available now on DVD and Blu-ray, and uh, I've got a lot of it, to be honest with you. I've spent a few bucks buying ITC TV series, but I'll be back in a moment with all of that. That was Joanne Campbell with Cookie Little Paradise, a novelty song from the 1960s, which I vaguely remembered from the time, but uh, kind of rediscovered 
about 10 years ago, and I like it. I like the Tarzan call at the start and the silliness of it. Uh, there's something sweet about that kind of novelty song. And on to ITC, which stands for Incorporated Television Company. It was a TV company started in the mid-1950s, 1954, by Lou Grade with a couple of other people. Lou Grade went on to be very famous and became uh, Lord Lou Grade. He developed a whole bunch of movies, none of which are particularly memorable. But he did uh, do something interesting with English television. The cool thing about it is, well, I'll explain that in a moment, but the first TV series that ITC really put all of their um, money into was a thing in the late 1950s called The Adventures of Robin Hood. Robin Hood, Robin Hood, riding through the glen. Robin Hood, Robin Hood, with his band of men. Feared by the bad, loved by the good. Robin Hood, Robin Hood, Robin Hood. Arches to a tavern on the green. They vowed to help the people of the king. They handled all the trouble on the English country scene and still found plenty of time to sing. The series starred Richard Green, who'd been a contract player in Hollywood in the 1940s and then went back to England and uh, continued his career between 1955 and 1959 in this TV series, which was really interesting for a couple of reasons. The first one, is, which is, there were some very cool people like Donald Pleasance in um, character roles, in supporting roles in this. So a lot of actors who in the 60s became famous were uh, in The Adventures of Robin Hood. The other thing is that the producer of Robin Hood was Hannah Weinstein, who uh, was an American who moved to England and was very much a left-wing person. She supported um, FDR. Uh, she was part of uh, Fiorella LaGuardia's New York mayor campaign. And she was, for a start, a woman producer, which wasn't all that common, particularly in British television. But she did something very, very kind and very interesting. The Adventures of Robin Hood hired a whole bunch of blacklisted American writers to write the episodes, uh, people who were blacklisted by the House on american Activities Committee, people like Waldo Salt, Ring Lardner Jr., and Ian McLennan Hunter, among others, wrote episodes for The Adventures of Robin Hood. So when these guys couldn't get a job doing anything, uh, Hannah Weinstein, no relation to the unfortunate, nasty prick Harvey Weinstein, supported them and got them a gig and kept them working. So all credit to her for that. She's very much underestimated in the history of television and uh, but nonetheless she was an important person who had her heart on her sleeve very much even though she was working in what was then kind of a corporate environment but Lou Gray was quite a smart and one of the things he decided and worked out the best approach on was to produce British television shows but to make them with an eye to an overseas audience. In 1956, he did a TV series called The Adventures of Sir Lancelot, which starred nobody famous, really. And he made some of the episodes in colour so they would then have a, a sell-on to the American market. And it worked really, really well. And so ITC continued that throughout their long career. And they were pretty big for about 20 years in the television industry, particularly in England, 
and so many of the TV series that we now consider cult TV series, the ones that were made by the BBC were probably made by ITC. At the start, the budgets weren't very big. And one of the interesting things was the art director of The Adventures of Robin Hood was a guy called Peter Proud, who was an expert at wartime camouflage. And he hit on the idea of putting a whole bunch of the props and even some of the sets on wheels so they could uh, move things around really quickly because one 26-minute episode was shot in four and a half days of this series. So they had a whole bunch of set pieces. I'm reading this off Wikipedia and kind of paraphrasing. 140 set pieces, baronia fireplaces, staircases, stone walls, entrance halls and the like. And they managed to move them around a lot. And uh, nonetheless, also did things like um, outdoor location shooting as well. So to do that in four and a half days for a 26-minute episode was a big ask, particularly then when you had to move bulky cameras around. The lighting wasn't as easy to do as it was in other times. Uh, and they kind of improvised and used uh, pre-existing skills like a, a wartime camouflage expert as an art designer in order to do this very effectively. And if you watch episodes of The Adventures of Robin Hood, which I did endlessly as a child, it was on crazy rotation on Australian television in the 1960s, and there wasn't a kid who had a TV set in those days who couldn't sing the theme song. I really can't underestimate how powerful these things were for us to watch as kids. Then uh, 1955, they, they did some TV series which you can't find anymore, but sound to me really interesting. There was a TV series of The Scarlet Pimpernel starring Marius Goring, who you might remember from uh, A Matter of Life and Death, the Pal and Pressburger movie, amongst other things. And that too had a um, really good supporting cast. Guest stars included... Roger Gil Delgado, who played the master, the first, the master in Doctor Who, Yvonne Furneaux, Christopher Lee, Peter O'Toole, Robert Shaw, and Patrick Troughton. So that'd be interesting to find. I'm really going to have to try to scrounge around and see if there are any existing episodes of that. Uh, they did another TV series in uh, 55 to 60, which was on Australian TV rotation because ITC obviously sold a package to Australian TV channels, and that was Fury, a TV series about a kid with a horse, and um, the horse pretty much was a star apart from Peter Graves, so we were, I watched a lot of that. Uh, the Count of Monte Cristo in 1956, which starred George Dolins, Mickey Dolins from The Monkey's Father, playing obviously the Count of Monte Cristo, so that would have been cool. And that had guest stars like Nigel Davenport, uh, let's see, Conrad Phillips, Patrick Troughton again, Douglas Wilmer, um, a whole bunch of great character actors there. As I said, there was The Adventures of Sir Lancelot. And then there was The Buccaneers, which was a TV series starring Robert Shaw, which I kind of liked. And they had um, a lot of the same guest stars, but people like Hazel Court as well. Sid James from the Carry On movies. Andre Morel, who you remember from a whole bunch of Hammer horror films. Joan Sims, John Schlesinger, the director, was an actor at one stage, and he did a lot of stuff for ITC. Uh, there was a TV series called OSS, which was about war, World War II spies, starring the Australian actor Ron Randell, who I mentioned in the episode we did recently about Kiss Me Kate. He played Cole Porter in the musical Kiss Me Kate, amongst other things. Uh, let's see, there was a TV series called Sword of Freedom in 57, starring Edmund Purdom, who had a brief career in Hollywood. 
Uh, the New Adventures of Charlie Chan with J. Carol Nash and James Hong in a very early James Hong role. So as you can see, a lot of these things were kind of period pieces. And then there was a TV series which, again, played on rotation in Australia a hell of a lot and also had a really cool TV theme, which I'm going to play in its fullness now because I love the high tenor voice um, of the guy singing the theme song and I like the lyrics as well. And it is, uh, it starred Conrad Phillips, Jennifer Jane, Nigel Green, and had guests on it like Wilfred Bramble, Michael Caine, Michael Caine, uh, Sid James again, Edward Judd was in it, Christopher Lee, Warren Mitchell, Donald Pleasance, Robert Shaw. And it is William Tell from 1958 and 1959. Come away, come away with William Tell, come away to the land he loved so well. What a day, what a day when the apple fell for time. Switzerland, come away with Tell to the mountainside. Look down to the pass where the tyrants ride. Fit a bow, be a bow, and down they go. For Tell and Switzerland, we are simple peasant folk. We will not bear a foreign yoke. Our freedom song will echo on to fight for what is right. Hurry on, hurry on, there's a dungeon cell. Hurry on, hurry on, there's a noose as well. But we'll escape from the jaws of hell. For Tell. We lived our lives, we loved our friends, we never wanted more. We had the skill to plow and till, but not the art of war. But now the tyrant from the plain steals up to take our lands. Instead of spade, we wield the blade. Follow on, follow on, at the leader's heel With a thrust of a pike and a clash of steel Follow on with the fight till the tyrants reel For Tell and Switzerland Give them one for the day they banned the grain Give them two for the night that Fritz was slain Give them three, give them four, and the right one more For Tell and Switzerland The shepherd scoop, the reaping hook Have taken on a warlike look With blade we've beaten from the plough We reap a harvest now Come away, come away with William Tell Come away to the land he loved so well Fit a boat to your boat And the way we go for Tell And Switzerland Again, this was a theme song that any kid at school could sing at the time because we all loved it and we kind of learnt these things by heart by watching each episode every afternoon after school and kind of grooving on that and every kid I know wanted a crossbow so they could try to shoot apples off each other's heads. As the intro to William Tell shows him shooting an apple off the head of his own kid. So that kind of stuff was rife in the early 60s on television. And kids really loved it. So I'll go back to my list here. I've actually got a really cool book about ITC called Cult TV, The Golden Age of ITC by Robert Sellers. And I've got to be careful with it because the spine's starting to crack on it. Uh, let's see, I'll, I'll leave off things that aren't very interesting, but there are a whole bunch of other things. Um, I, the original TV series of The Invisible Man was there. Um, I remember that from when I was a kid as well. Guest stars on that one. You never actually got to see the guy because he was invisible. 
Honor Blackman, James Booth, Hazel Cordigan, Anton Differing, Ronald Fraser, Walter Gotel, Ian Henry, Jennifer Jane, Desmond Llewellyn from, he was Q in uh, the James Bond films. Let's see, Leslie Phillips, Dennis Price, Michael Ripper, Peter Salas, a whole bunch of people. And then there was another TV series, which I've been trying to find copies of, but I haven't really had much luck with. The Four Just Men, which starred Richard Conti, Dan Daly, Vittoria De Sica, and Jack Hawkins as four guys who were kind of um, ex-army from World War II who went around and did uh, really cool things. Uh, then in 1960, we hit the first really enormous ITC hit, which became an international hit and went on to spin um, a spin-off series, though officially it isn't really a spin-off series. And it starred Patrick McGowan, and it was a TV series. In America, it was called Secret Agent or something like that. But in Australia and the UK, it was called Danger Man, which I think is a much, much cool title. And went on for five years and starred Patrick McGowan as John Drake, uh, a secret agent for NATO or the UN or something like that. It's a bit vague who he actually works for, who goes around the world troubleshooting problems and solving coup d'etats and spy networks and all sorts of things like that. So it's a very broad concept. And the interesting thing about it is McGowan was a strict Catholic, so he didn't want to have it all sexed up in a James Bond kind of way. So John Drake's a very aesthetic kind of secret agent. Uh, He's sympathetic to women but not romantically involved with them, and he keeps to himself, and it's a bit hard to nail down who he actually is. Because in the series, he plays a whole bunch of different roles, pretending to be other people. So you don't really get a sense of who John Drake the man is. But you get the sense that he's determined, he's tough, he's resourceful, intelligent. And um, yeah, a really interesting addition to the spy craze of the 1960s. And of course, that then led to a series that McGowan himself generated called The Prisoner where things got very surreal and intellectual and cerebral and crazy. And um, that, of course, is even more famous than Danger Man is. In fact, uh, one of the great things I did in the UK way back in 2004 was to visit Port Miriam where they filmed The Prisoner. And it's probably one of the really weird and wonderful places I've been in my life. It's a kind of Italianate village in this, um, on the coast of Wales, which is a crazy old guy basically built himself over a period of years. And it, it's it's got to be seen to be believed, Port Merion. Uh, if you haven't been there and you get a chance to, I really recommend that you go. It's a memorable place and you'll really enjoy it if you do get to go there. Nice thing was we went to the tourist bureau at the time got free tickets to go to Port Merion, so we're quite happy with that. Uh, so, yeah, the, um, ITC really did run with the spy craze way longer than a lot of other companies did, and, and they did it better than anybody, I think, as far as television spy stuff's concerned. In America, you had The Man from Uncle and I Spy, but ITC had a whole bunch of its own. I'll talk a bit more about those in a minute. But in the meantime, I'll leave you with a bit of the cool Edward, As- Edward Nasley theme to Danger Man. Danger 
IDC also produced a whole bunch of Jerry Anderson's animation, you know, puppet animation series, like Supercar. Supercar with beauty and grace as swift as can be. Watch it flying through the air. It travels in space or under the sea, and it can journey anywhere. Stingray, and I'm going to play the Stingray theme in full because I love the rolling drums on the Stingray theme and the Thunderbirds. I don't like the Thunderbirds theme as much as I like the Stingray one. So I'll play you the Stingray theme, which I love the voiceover on as well. Yeah, anything can happen in the next half hour, that kind of stuff. But uh, they really did have some wonderful production values in uh, just for a kids' show, essentially, in the mid-1960s. Stand by for action. About to launch Stingray. And the other interesting thing, too, is Stingray, the submarine commander, Troy Tempest, was modelled on James Garner. So if you have a look at the puppet for Troy Tempest in Stingray, it looks a bit like James Garner. And RTC did uh, continue with a whole bunch of uh, Jerry Anderson's work, right up to and including things like UFO, which is a fantastic TV series. I really should do an episode of Martian Driving Podcast just covering the... Um, UFO and, and things like that because they really are kind of worthy of our attention. There were other TV series that ITC did in the 60s that I saw a lot when I was a kid. There was a TV series in 1960 called Whiplash, which was about the Cobb Co. coaches here in Australia and was filmed on location here in Australia with a lot of Australian actors. But unfortunately, Peter Graves starred as the main character, Chris Cobb, in Whiplash. Uh, though that is kind of accurate because Chris Cobb the guy who started the Cop and Co. coach line in Australia was an American. So there, there was that TV series. Then, of course, you get to 1962, and there's another, on top of Danger Man, you get another iconic TV action show starring an actor who went on to do greater things and who unfortunately stepped on a rainbow very recently, and that is The Saint from 1962. Starring Roger Moore, and we've got, I've got about a page of the guest stars on that TV series. It went from 1962 to 1969, and pretty much anyone who's anyone in English um, TV and cinema eventually turned up 
on episodes of The Saint. also other TV series which showed up a lot in Australian television at the time. There was a Canadian TV series called Seaway from 1965, which among other guests had Faye Dunaway and Sally Kellerman and Barry Morse guest starring. It was about the St. Lawrence Seaway and a whole bunch of adventures happening on that. Uh, the main guy in there was Stephen Young, who turned up as a villain in Soil and Green years and years later. But uh, Seaway, and I really should play, I'm going to do a few themes here. I think I'm going to pad this out with themes because I like the theme to Seaway a lot. And that theme song was written by a guy called Morris Surden. One of the great things, you know it's going to be a good 1960s television action series when the theme song starts out with bongo drums. There's nothing like a good flailing bongo right at the start of uh, a TV series episode to tell you that it's going to be the good shit. Uh, By the way, a lot of these TV series, I'm just searching the themes on YouTube and kind of ripping the audio from them. A lot of these TV episodes are on YouTube for a lot of these series. So if you want to spend the rest year of your next year of your life following them up, you can do it at no price apart from uh, an internet connection, which is kind of cool. I think I love the fact that people can get access to this stuff, which isn't released easily by other means. I know that I've got some friends who have a lot of moral qualms about some of the stuff that gets uploaded on YouTube and whether it breaches copyright. Usually they're content creators themselves, and I respect it. I really do respect uh, people who take a stance on this kind of stuff. But it's there. Um, you, there's not a lot you or I can do about it being there. But I, I like the fact that I can access it. I'm, you know, I'm going to be unashamed about that. I buy a lot of media. I spend a lot of money on TV series and movies and all sorts of other things. So if I get a few crumbs thrown my way by YouTube now and then, I'm not really going to bleed for that. but uh, And also, I'm using it for an educative purpose by telling you guys about it. So I did like Seaway. Uh, really nice TV series. Good, honest action stuff. Uh, opportunity for some good actors. An opportunity for writers to get a start as well. There are a whole bunch of writers who get a start with this kind of thing. Now, um, the next couple of things I'm going to kind of go through. Uh, by the way, Captain Scarlet, another one of... Um, Jerry Anderson's great ones. Uh, I really like the theme song from Captain Scarlet too. You ca- you got to can't get over the fact that ITC did have the best theme tunes in the nineteen sixties. Uh, there was a TV series with Richard Bradford in it called Man in a Suitcase, which uh, again had fantastic supporting cast. 
Patrick Cargill, Ed Bishop, uh, Ed Bishop from UFO. I met him once, lovely guy. Uh, T.P. McKenna, uh, Darren Nesbitt's in it, Nicola Padgett, Jacqueline Pierce, Anton Rogers, Norman Rossington, George Sewell, Barbara Shelley, Donald Sutherland turned up in an episode of Man in the Suitcase. So it's really cool because you can see all of these actors at the start of their careers or at the end of their careers in some cases. Uh, there's a TV series with Anthony Quayle called Strange Report, which I've got some episodes of. Uh, the Champions was one of my favourites in the 60s. Um, I'll give you the a little bit of the front of The Champions because this was a kind of supernatural, almost superhero series by proxy from the 1960s, which is very cool. They only did one or two seasons of it, but uh, it was very popular here. So the Champions uh, was a lot on TV. By the way, it's all on YouTube as well. Uh, there was Alexandra Bastido, um, Stuart Damon, and William Gaunt playing three uh, agents for a UN agency called Nemesis who were given superpowers by a mysterious race of people in the Himalayas. Very cool stuff for the 1960s. I just liked it. It was a lot of fun at the time, and it showed you a wider world. There are also um, TV series, two of my favourites, in fact, Department S in 1969 and 1970, starring Peter Wingard, Joel Fabiani, and Rosemary Nichols, which span off a TV series called Jason King, starring Peter Wingard. And Peter Wingard was an enormous star on television. He came out to Australia and was mobbed. Uh, people loved Jason King and Department S. Uh, his career kind of took a nosedive when, and this is how unfortunate the 1960s and 1970s were in a lot of cases. Uh, he was found at um, a service station, uh, a roadside service station, performing an obscene act with another gentleman. And it kind of put a kibosh on his career unfortunately. Um, then there were TV series like The Persuaders with Tony Curtis and Roger Moore, The Adventurer with Gene Barry, The Protectors with Robert Vaughan, Norrie Dawn Porter and Tony Anhold. Now, The Protectors had the coolest theme song of any of the ITC theme songs, bar none. It was a really cool series about uh, basically they were a business uh, security specialists who went around Europe fixing things. The weird thing about it was it wasn't an hour long. It was half-hour episodes on the protectors, and so they were really tight and concise. But they did have Tony Christie singing the coolest theme song in the known universe on any TV show, and this is it. Baby, 
sunrise creeps into your eyes dream till the sunrise turns on the day in the avenues and alleyways while you sleep there's a whole world coming alive Not a lot of movie theme song has got a bit of vibrato to it. Uh, yeah, I just liked the protectors at the time. The half-hour episodes were a little too tight. I think they didn't have a lot of room for character development. But nonetheless, seeing Robert Vaughan in another TV series was cool at the time. And I enjoyed it a hell of a lot. Uh, there were some other things that um, ITC put out which were kind of fun. Randall and Cobb, Hopkirk deceased, 1969-1970, with Kenneth Cope and Mike Pratt. And the Australian actor, Ned Dondre. Uh, it was basically a TV series about a couple of detectives. One of them gets killed and comes back as a ghost. It was played a bit light and it had a couple of remakes that were very successful. Uh, let me have a look here. There's some other things. I'm going all nostalgia here. The Muppet Show was an ITC production as well. And the guest stars on that, Joan Baez, Julie Andrews, Shirley Bassey, Harry Belafonte, Candace Bergman, John Cleese, George Burns, Johnny Cash, James Coburn, John Denver, Bob Hope. Glenda Jackson, Elton John, Danny Kaye, Gene Kelly, Chris Christopherson, Christopher Reeve, Kenny Rogers, Sylvester Stallone, Raquel Welsh, Andy Williams, Zero Mostel, Roger Moore, everybody who was anybody was on The Muppet Show, and that too was an ITC production. 
Uh, they also did uh, the Hammer House of Horrors TV series in the 1960. And a weird thing, which I'm really going to have to drill into at some stage on a future Martian Drive-In podcast, TV series with Joanne Alumni and David McCallum called Sapphire and Steel. Really fucking weird stuff, that. Um, I don't, don't know whether it's science fiction or fantasy or what, but it is very deeply weird, and if you've seen it, you can never forget it. So just to wrap this up, it isn't going to be a particularly long episode. I'm going to, as I said, pat it out with a little bit of music from the uh, TV shows, but ITC punched well above its weight. It was fantastic, and it was a part of my childhood. And re-watching a lot of these TV episodes, you get not only the cool theme songs and the groovy looks of the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, but you also get some really interesting character actors doing stuff you haven't seen them in before. You get some nice plotting. Always have great cars in them, um, from supercar down to the Ferrari sports car driven by Tony Curtis in The Persuaders. It's just a a fantastic um, part of the past of TV. And again, it, it is very accessible on YouTube. I've got a lot of this stuff on DVD in the um, vast archives here at the Chateau. But um, I really I really enjoy it a lot. And um, I'm going to have to, after doing this podcast, dip back into a lot of these things and just kind of let the nostalgia wash over me like a spa bath. But anyway, thank you for listening. I will be recording on the train, if not on the train in Sydney. Um when I do my Sydney trip next week, as I mentioned. And I will be back with the Martian Drive-In podcast next week. I may even do the Martian Drive-In podcast on the train. Who the fuck knows? It's all a mystery the future. So anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you very much to the Patreon supporters as usual. As I said, I have redone the Patreon credits at the end of the podcast. You too can support the podcast from as little as a dollar a month. Now, a dollar a month isn't that bad, so... You can do that if you really want to. Um, But even if you don't, thank you again for listening. Uh, Hopefully I'll be back on track. I do have a couple of guests lined up for the near future, but things are kind of chaotic in my head at the moment. And uh, that will pass. And when it does, there'll be some really great content. As I mentioned before, going to be doing the Towering Inferno and the Poseidon Adventure in the future. I'm going to be doing a couple of Westerns with Dave Mack. And... It's all going to be good. So take care of yourselves. Look after each other. Look after yourselves. If you're in Australia and you're LGBTQI, I'm sorry this stupid survey is happening and um, there's a lot of hatred going on for uh, marriage equality in this country. It will pass. We will get this done. But in the meantime, look after yourself. Reach out for resources. Ask people for help if you need it because one day somebody will ask you. Anyway, take care of yourselves. I'll be back soon with yet another bunch of ramblings on the subject of cinema, and in this case, television too, just to change things up that tiny little bit. See you later. And here are the credits. Thank you to Tom, the focus puller, Sarah, the special effects technician, Ian, the caterer, Grant, the technicolor consultant, Claire, the script doctor, Gary, the prop master, Morris, our music director, Jan, our dialect coach, Armin, our key grip, Matt, our rattlesnake wrangler, Elaine, our scientific advisor, Julia, our casting director, Chris, the camera operator, 
Christopher the Gaffer, Miss Jane the Wardrobe Mistress, Tansy our Foley Artist, Alyssa our Location Scout, Mark our Set and Unit Director, Paul our Special Effects Makeup Special Makeup Effects Director, Tammy our Donut Wrangler, Tim our New York Unit Director, Rabbi Steve our Spiritual Advisor. Steve, our monster effects guy. Dylan, our goat wrangler. Eric, our set security lead. Richard H., the set photographer. Mark D., extra. David L., the extra. Richard C., our transportation co-captain. Carrie L., our Tasmanian consultant. And Carrie C., our accountant. We also have... Sally, our continuity girl, and of course the other Sally who is always helpful and encouraging and wonderful. So thank you very much to all of the Patreon subscribers. You too can be a Patreon subscriber by going to patreon.com slash paleocinema and donating as little as a dollar per month. 